Welcome to Black Women Voices. This episode, we are talking to LaShonda. Her current research focuses on the experiences and outcomes of Black women faculty at research-intensive schools of social work, including the mental health risk of working in non-inclusive climates and cultures. LaShonda remains committed to diversifying higher education and ensuring equitable experiences to all members of these communities. We are back at it, episode two, and we are talking about black women and imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very special guest with us on the episode, on the show, LaShonda Fields. Hey, girl. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yes. Let's just get right into the conversation. So, LaShonda, what does imposter syndrome look like for you as a Black woman, especially on the job? So, for me, one of the um, main issues I deal with within my imposter syndrome is, is multifaceted, right? A bunch of moving pieces. But one of the issues is, so I'm at uh, a very high ranking institution and I am a native resident of the community within which that institution sits. I'm a graduate of the public school system, which has never mm-hmm. been worked much, sadly. Um, never able to consistently maintain accreditation and all of these things, right? So um, I like to think that I'm, you know, smart enough, good enough, intelligent enough. But um, one of my struggles is at this institution, like there are literally children of dignitaries and such in attendance. And so I'm thinking about these individuals who have probably had the best education, private education since kindergarten. And here I am coming out of this very poor, very under-resourced public school district and trying to figure out, you know, am, am I capable in the same manner in which these others are that have had unlimited resources? Right. And so for me, it, it dates back, way back to the high school that I graduated from. Um, professionally, when I was working on campus, so I worked on campus for several years before resigning to pursue my PhD. Mm-hmm. When I worked on campus, I oversaw the uh, TRIO grant. So it's supporting uh, first generation and or low income students, um, yes. which is really important, near and dear to my heart. I am a TRIO alum. I participated in the Upper Bound program when I was at Me high school. I guess a real big deal, right? That full circle it moment is. good to me that I could be on the other end of this. Um, and so I was in a department where pretty much everyone already had a doctorate degree. So here I am. Um, the other thing is, so I had that high school situation. Then for undergrad, I went in the evenings, um, sometimes full-time, mostly part-time because I also had a family and I was working. And so then I began to question, oh my gosh, how valuable, even though my degree came from a very reputable institution, not the same one I'm at now, but another great institution um, in the community is this part-time evening degree, you know, going to be viewed the same because, you know, they have to change the name a little bit because it's within a different school, not the main school of arts and sciences and things of that nature. And here I am moving and shaking with most folks who have doctorate degrees. Um, So that was definitely a challenge for me as well. Fast forward, I get into the master's of social work program at my institution. And so then here it comes. It's like, did they let me in because they already know me because I'm an employee? Did it, was it based on merit? Um, you know, I even sometimes can go down that rabbit hole of do they just need another brown face? Mm-hmm. And I was the lucky one on the draw that day. Right. Um, 
and again, it's it's really rooted in questioning my foundation, never my passion, and never as much my ability. It's just the uh, preparation that I have or haven't had. I'm not a statistician. I'm not great at math. That was my greatest fear when thinking about um, doctoral studies and having to take the GRE. It's like, I, I'm not going to be able to do well on this exam um, when it comes to the quantitative components of it, and then knowing I had to take a stats class. So, um, so professionally, it looked like you have great ideas, but are they going to value them because of the letters that aren't behind your name? And as a student um, in a large cohort, because a new doctoral program was added, I'm the only black person wow. in social yeah. work. So oh. it's like, if social work can't do better, what are we going to do with these STEM majors, right? Right. Um, so that was, that was really difficult for me as well that, you know, I was the one. And I'm often the one. Right. And so I think that that definitely feeds into the imposter syndrome. Um, but I have many mentors and folks who would say, just speak up. Just put it out there. Right. Everybody has ideas that land and some that sink. So just throw it out there and see what happens. So. That was helpful, but it. I feel like um, as a first-generation student, I believe that I'm like first-generation forever. I'm the first female in my family to get any college degree, uh, the second person in my family to get a master's degree, and the first to explore doctoral studies. Right. I'll be the first. I was the first to have like a salary job, right? So it's like first everything when you're first-generation to, to an extent. So that's definitely a part of it. Mm. So, so I wanted to kind of go back to something that you touched on that I found very interesting, probably because it's, it's what I, I'm interested in terms of research. This idea that our foundation helps to possibly create this imposter syndrome that we kind of yeah. with us through our educational journey. And, you know, I remember being in school, I started off in maybe uh, it was a, a white predominant. Mm-hmm school from like K through four and it was interesting but really no 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 issues or anything but it wasn't until I went to an all-black school district growing up and that was like the first time I had black teachers and they all cared you know Mm -hmm. they cared and they wanted to educate you and then as I started to kind of move up and go and become in, in different involved in gifted education and stuff like that all teachers white or black like their goal was to help you help motivate you most of them there was a great name no names but (laughs) what I will say is I you know I think that some of that imposter syndrome not just from educators though but from family members right absolutely you know how you how they think and interpret how how you speak Mm -hmm. or even like maybe you go to school and you're getting A's and B's and maybe they're not getting A's and B's No, whatever that that is, you you experience some of those because of some of those messages, and and so can you kind of talk a little bit about that because I think that that follows us as we go to college, mm. you know, more than we know. It's, and and you say you an upper bound trio. I did both of those things. Mm-hmm. Still felt like you know I feel I'm behind, right? You know, in some ways, but I would have never kind of well. Now I make the connection. Yeah. I think I made that connection at that time. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, so you bring up a really good point. So K through eight, I went to a predominantly white school. 
And I moved with the same cohort all those years. Um, and I was always at the top of my class. So I was one fifth grade graduation. I have a very distinct memory. I'm a little bit seasoned. Um, at our fifth grade promotion, only three of us received presidential letters of academic excellence from Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. And I was the only oh. black person. Um, and I was always the only black person. So I was in these advanced classes. They had tried to get me to skip grades several times. And my mother wasn't having it because she believed that I would be off track emotionally and mentally and all of that, just not mature enough to handle the um, accelerated courses. And so um, when I switched high schools, that was my first time going to school with a lot of black people. And the sad thing for me was when I switched ninth grade, the information that we were receiving and the work that we were doing was things that I had already done in sixth and seventh grade. So they were way behind Mm -hmm. academically where I was. So in my young mind, and I, I now can see where I went wrong with this. In my young mind, it was like, oh, I can chill here. I'm good. I don't have to really put forth any effort um, because I've already done these things and I can easily just show up and make it happen. And that's kind of what I did. So I, for a while, lost interest in school. And that was the good thing about Upper Bow, taking those classes on Saturday, spending those six weeks on campus, prepping for the ACT and all of that. That energized me. That refocused me in a way that my public school wasn't able to. Um, What's also interesting, when I was preparing the summer before my freshman year to switch school districts to be in this uh, predominantly black, like predominantly black, it was, the district is probably 90% black, and that other 10% being mostly um, immigrants. Um, So um, here we have a really large Bosnian population, and then, so it would have been mostly Bosnian students and then those of, of various Asian uh, backgrounds. Um, I told my brother, I needed him to teach me how to speak slang so that that wouldn't be something I would be targeted for when I switched schools because I had already spent so many years hearing that I talked white and I act white and how nerdy I was. And so I was thinking, oh my God. And I, you know, and this is not too long after Lean On Me had came out and I was like, oh, they're going to wipe the floor with me. I got to get it together. I'm going to the hood, and I lived in the hood. I just got bust out of the hood, and I'm a um, introvert, so I didn't interact with like kids in the community. So really, the only black kids I spent a lot of time with would have been my family, my cousins, and then the kids in the Upper Bound program at some point. Um, so my idea of what an inner city school looked like was, you know, Joe Clark walking around with this megaphone in his hand, right? And so I'm like, oh no. Nah. I can't stroll up in there sounding like or uh, Punky Brewster. (laughs) You got to help me with my aints and finnas and, you know. (laughs) Wow. Listen, my my principal had a belt. Yours had a belt wrapped around his hand. Like, oh, oh, you're about to get this work if you can get in trouble. Oh, no. Oh, see, that was all foreign to me. And so for for the summer, um, I started listening to the Ghetto Boys. And NWA, ah! I was really working. <laughs> I, I, I BS y'all not. I'm keeping it real. That's Music together, and I, you know, I could, I could learn the vernacular, and I could talk the talk. And then I felt because I was going to a school where I knew no one, 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So it was like completely starting from scratch. And I was like, yeah, that makes me a target. Um, I don't know if you all can see it, but I'm fair with freckles. That makes me a target. That was hard to carry even K through eight with the other students. Right. And so I was like, no, I got to, um, I got to, I got to get my street uh, knowledge together here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Willie D groomed me now. <laughs> uh, but also though, yes, within the family, even still currently, because like I said, I, I am, um, you know, a little seasoned, not that there's a traditional graduate student at this level, but still, um, I recognize that I'm older than most i had folks in my cohort who could have been my children um i get a lot of you still in school you back in school when you gonna be done with school what you doing now and you what is have that? all the degrees yeah, right. yeah. Yes. understand how that works for <laughs> graduate school is different it's different right <laughs> and so and i go to school in my hometown right i've never resided anywhere else and so it's like okay. so turning three we having cake and ice cream I can't do that. I'm playing around with SAS and Stata right now. Right. So now I'm better than everybody because I don't have three hours to come watch somebody who can't even blow a candle out, try to blow a candle. You know, they won't even know you're there. They won't make it. They could care less. Right. Um, But the reality is such that I do get a lot of backlashes. Like, you know, uh, I just write literally 45 minutes before I called you all. I checked my email to pull the link up and all that. I just had another um, article get published. And I'm like, look at, look Good at that. Pause. Everybody pause. <laughs> oh, I just and want that. Like, Quick pause. Uh-huh. Commercial. You need, that is a break and praise. She yeah. Just drop it right down for you. Right. And, you know, and it's really sad because sometimes you have to be mindful of what you share, right? Like you, right. I can't necessarily publicly share the way that I would maybe want to. Right. Um, just because, you know, the shade is real. Yes. And it comes from the most unlikely of places at times, but it is it is truly real. Um, and then that definitely feeds into the imposter syndrome because it's like if the people who should be in my corner don't feel like I can make it, where is my, you know, but where's my, my group, my people? But you Say that again, I'm sorry. I think though, but like the whole idea of kind of like this outsider within, like yes. that you that you are this you are this member of this inside, but mm-hmm. because education, socialization, it's feeling like people aren't able, they feel like they can't maybe talk to you or you know, right. whatever. So like how has that really developed your standpoint? Because we know that right. there's this outsider within knowledge that happens with black women, right? We understand, yeah. you know, Audrey Lord, all of that, but like right. how has that formed the way that you see yourself as an academic, as a mm-hmm. student, as a practitioner, insert here. Like how right. has that framed the way that you see yourself? I think more than anything it is really isolating, right? So I'm in a place where I feel like outside of my husband and children, um so I'm not necessarily in with the extended family in a way that I would have once been. I'm not necessarily in at the institution that I'm spending all this time at either, right? So it's like, where is 
my safe space? Where is my comfort zone? Um, and so for me, it's just really a very small, tight circle. It's, it's going to be my immediate family, but then also um, across a few cohorts, there's a few of us Black women in my program that um, definitely support one another. And then I'm also a part of a program It's called the Chancellor's Fellowship. And so what that does is it's seeking to diversify the academy and support individuals that want to go on to become professors, right? And so this is across all disciplines. Um, and so it's predominantly students who identify as a minority. And we have different events and um, have ways of forming community. We had a game night a couple of weeks ago, which um, I'm always here for Cards Against Humanity and all that type of foolishness. So um, <laughs> it, it is it is isolating. And that just means I have to work that much harder to find and connect with what I would consider my people. Wow. Mm. I felt that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and I need to make a correction, too, because it's not, you know, Audrey Lord, but it would be Patricia Hill Collins, but still kind of like what that does yeah. and and how how do you reengage in this community right. that is giving you the this, this support, your family. Right. Kinda, hmm. And then there's the question of why do I have to reengage? Exactly. Oh. Exactly. You yeah. know, um, it, it's that whole for me, it's that concept of just because we look like in terms of we're black, we're women, I can't expect you to always be there to uplift me. Mm. But that's an expectation for society that as black women, we're supposed to be all together, cozy, lovey. Right. And that would be great. But the reality is, right. that's not true. That is not true. Mm. And I'd rather spend my energy doing what I need to do than mm -hmm. focusing on how I can make you comfortable enough for right. me to be included into your space. Uh, that's, that's the truth. That's not a good use of energy. No, and I just don't have time for it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and what we're all doing is is consuming. You got to be all in. Like there is no fence, so to speak. Either you in this thing or you not. Right. And so what I've realized is you either for me or against me. It, it really is that's just that simple. I don't have time for gray spaces. It's black and white. You on this team, you you going to shoot me an encouraging text every now and then or whatever, and I'll also reciprocate or whatever, or you're not. Yeah. It's that simple. And, and that's, think, that is hard for me because I'm a, I, in some ways I can be a people pleaser. Mm, and so making mm, myself a priority was a learning process. Right. And I still can struggle with that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think that, man... I think this idea, and I don't. I think it's whether you are in a doc program mm. or if you are working. I think it's the same. It's the same deal. You yeah. know, I think that there are a lot of um, people that have perceptions of how you should be or how you should mm -hmm. and what you know, and I, I think <coughs> it heightens that imposter syndrome. It heightens that. You know that idea if you are already coming to me i think the phd program is a whole nother thing because you just going through periods of ebbs and flows of <laughs> a lot i don't know anything at all to this program you know am i going to even make it past this i'm not right. or somebody telling you you are an expert and so you're going through these ebbs and flows mm -hmm. oceans i mm -hmm. think at work is all together it can be some there can be some uh difference 
and that at work, like people, if you have a specific job, they expect you to do that job. Right. You know, but, and, and that can be hard because you don't know everything in that right. You don't know everything, but, and the things that you do know, and this is a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they may be calling you, they may say you too aggressive in your approach, but there is no, right? There, 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 there are some things that I don't, sometimes you don't see gray. When yes. you are feeling like, okay, this is in the best, is it either it is in the best interest or it's not in the best interest. Right. right. Whomever. Yeah. And I think a piece of that is, I always think about how much of my authentic self am I allowed to bring into this space with me? That's right. Right. And so I think we're often bargaining within ourselves. Is it, am I willing to risk this to show them this? Am I willing to, you know, and definitely professionally, because it feels like there's zero room for error. Like everyone else can have missteps, it feels like, and they can get coaching, they can get all these second chances and opportunities for do-overs. I often had the feeling of you step out of bounds once and game is over. Yes. And so there's, there's so much pressure in that because to err is human. So now you've yet another way dehumanized me. Right. It happens in so many different ways. I, I always liken it to this book bag that these bricks are just being put in is weight after weight after weight. You know, I have to get up and think about um, I had worked at the institution for several years. Uh, I, I started the job with natural hair um, and then I went back to a relaxer for about a year and a half. And then I went back to natural hair. And when I went back that second time um, in their presence, I just showed up one day with uh, like a crew cut, like a, a um, you know, most males would have over President's Day weekend. I come back in and you would have thought they had never met me before. Wow. There were all these stares, all these questions, all these comments. Are you going through something? I got put into a meeting with the two upper um, management folks and they were like, we just want to make sure everything's okay. And if there's anything we can do to support you. And I'm like, well, what, ha- what has happened? And they're like, oh, well, you know, um, this is a radical change. What? Because I should have conferred with you all before I decided to shave my head. Like, I've been here, like, at that point, I think I had been there, like, three years. Y'all know me. You know my work ethic. You know, I don't know. It was really weird. But that just was a reminder, again, how much was I willing to bargain? How much of my authentic self? And, and. As I've gotten older, I'm I'm not really here for bargaining. It is what it is. What you you know, what you see is what you get. Right. And if you don't like it, keep moving. Exactly. So when so when you think about like impostorship um, and kind of like how it manifests, even within the work that you do, or even how you kind of operate through your position, right? Mm -hmm. How do you feel gender and race play a role? in the way that impostorship surfaces within your, mm. within your experience? That's a really good question. Um, well, I think it's unique in, like you mentioned, um, Hill earlier, we're just in a unique situation with the intersection of both gender and race and ethnicity, um, being members of underrepresented minorities. Um, and then you have you factor in the stereotype threat, right? So, mm, mm-hmm. so much I feel like often about us has been decided before we even enter the space. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, so much energy is is devoted to 
not being what someone might expect you to be. And then how much energy is left to actually do the task at hand. Mm. And so then, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where now I'm having to be haste and really figure out and try to finish this thing strong, are you able to be confident that you put your best foot forward because you've had all this other stuff, all these other thoughts and, and experiences that have gotten in the way of whatever task at hand you're supposed to be addressing. And so I think um, as a black woman, it's out the gate. Like for me, I feel like when I send my resume out, that's real. They know who they looking at on that sheet of paper before they even have a visual of me. My name is very telling. Um, and I know that's not exclusively a black thing. Asians deal with that Muslim uh, esque type names deal with that and so on and so forth but I definitely know ain't nobody expecting a blue eyed blonde to show up with a resume that says LaShonda um, and so it, it's just one thing after another but yeah I very much so feel like women are often undervalued, underpaid questioned um, you know your expertise is often being scrutinized for one reason or another and then you factor in the race as well so now you you know it's coming at you from multiple angles and you're just trying to fight against all of these preconceived notions and prove your worth and that's exhausting mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that exhaustion <laughs> i mean I think that people don't really realize how exhausting it is to um for lack of a better word have to show up differently and do right yeah. a lot out of you to be professional and mm -hmm. or or if it's like not too not too much this not too much that so right. i mean and i listen we can all have this conversation yes what, what is that <laughs> exhaustion not only the, what does it look like but what does it take you know how do you replenish that right even come against that buck up against the system of just like don't yeah that's a good question yeah so yeah. i i do believe over the years i've been able to build up sort of like a bank of um the right connections and so on and so forth where i cannot i can be very vocal and i can push back on a lot and i i will call people out and i you know i just sit there and be all like well that sounds about white <laughs> Yes. Right. Like is so, that copywritten? Because I'm gonna need that. I need right. that. Right now. Right, you better copyright it. Stamp but that it. is so Stamp real though, right? And so um, so what I'm also always trying to do is um reduce some of that because it I look there can be days where if you have a straight up moment where you know that you've experienced and that's the other thing. Often people try to explain it away. Well, maybe that person was having a bad day. I understand that. We all have off days. But my gut knows when I've been treated a certain way due to my race and or gender. I, I feel that. I know what that looks like. And you're not going to tell me otherwise that this is just because this person is having an off day. And so that sits with you, well, with me for a very long time. I can spend those scenarios around in my head for weeks or months on end trying to figure out, was there anything else I could have done said different? Um, because what I also don't want to do is be in a position where I'm always trying to diffuse other people's response to me. Mm -hmm. I don't have energy for that, right? Um, and so how I often try to replenish that is definitely uh, 
you know, uh, pretty girls love trap music. Yeah. So I get to, I get to gangster <laughs> on the ride home. That helps for sure. Um, and honestly, I'm always just trying to be as genuine as I can be and as thorough as I can be. So I don't want to give you, and not that I'm not going to ever fall short. Of course, that's going to happen. But to the best of my ability, I don't want to fuel that fire whatever that is that you suspecting or thinking of me or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm going to try to prove you wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to monitor that too, because I don't want my work to be coming from a negative space. I want to do it because I love it. And because I see the potential to positively impact lives, not so much to counter what someone may be thinking. Um, I also am a member of a black girls run. I got a half marathon Sunday. You better run. Uh, run. Come on, you better run. Run for me. Do a couple miles on my behalf. Yes, yes I will. Uh, and it just really clears my mind, and I can I can release, and it energizes me. I can come back and be uber productive afterwards. Most times, uh, I'm trying to really get into yoga. I'm trying to get my eating together because I think if your body and your mind is healthier, you better prepared and on to deal with what all is. I haven't even got a job yet, right? So it's only going to get worse as I'm trying to get tenure and all of that, right? So I'm trying to build up my armor now where these things are just uh, routine. They are habits. This is how I live. This is what I do. Um, and I think that that will make me mentally stronger. And then if it, if it goes too far, I don't have a problem with putting it out there and letting somebody in the higher ups know this, is, this has happened and it needs to be addressed. Um, this is a potential barrier to my success and it's a bad reflection on the institution and what are we going to do to resolve this? Um, so yeah, I'm kind of like a, a, a self-advocate and then also always advocating for the, the next generation behind me. Mm-hmm. So you, so LaShonda, you mentioned earlier that you consider yourself an introvert. Now, how does that play into the mm. whole imposter syndrome yeah, and vocal uh, in these interesting spaces, I'll say, that we navigate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can be tough because the first thing people want to say usually is uh, they, they always, in my opinion, hide behind fit. Who's a good fit? What is mm-hmm. a good fit? And all of the, that's, to me, that's just code for that ain't what we want. You're not what we want, right? Um, so being an introvert, there is often pressure to be more social than I would probably want to be. Like I'm here for the business of it. This is not my life. Um, But I have to, you know, compromise on that and be a little flexible with that. Um, And people, certain people can be very nosy and really want to know all you got going on. That's no, that ain't what I do. Yeah. Yeah, mind the business that pays you, right? And mind ain't you. You just dropping all kind of gems. She need to copyright it. You mother, you don't have to that, That's not mine. I read that somewhere. Oh, <laughs> um, you better have some citations. We need it. But you know, it's one of those things where it's like you're also being sometimes put into this place of, oh, you're not that type of black person. Oh, well, what type oh, is really? there? And that's where I think the socializing comes in because it's like you you want to see me after hours or something or you want to see me maybe buzzing or something you think you're gonna get me to loosen up and and spill some tea that i wouldn't otherwise or something no i'll come through i'll slide through have me a diet coke and then i'm on my way um but even though i am an introvert it's not usually difficult for me to speak up for myself awesome yeah 
Okay. So I have a question then. So in thinking about, I don't know what your career trajectory is, but if it is going into like the faculty realm, because I maybe mm -hmm. heard, that, heard you say that. So how does impostership kind of infiltrate the ways that you think about that career? And then even, even more so, how can, how can you either diffuse this idea of compassion fatigue or not compassion fatigue? See, that's on my head. You hear me? Right. <laughs> uh, you know, impostorship, but like, because we know that that can also have implications on how you get tenure, like, right. you know, whether that is, you know, interacting with your colleagues and right. you know, how, how does that even operate if you don't feel like you even deserve to be there with them? Right. That's a whole nother conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you think, even in thinking about, potential career trajectories like mm -hmm. how do you think that this impostorship could like hinder that help like what like what do you think about that so a few thoughts that I have the first is I'm concerned at times it it varies um my subject matter right so I'm looking to be hired at a top-ranked school of social work but I'm also calling them out and letting them know you all should be further along than you are mm -hmm. you are not Part of the solution, you are perpetuating this problem. Um, and, who, you know, so who wants to get on board with that, right, is the first question. What institution wants to bring me in to say, and part of it is I want to frame it as such, here's what's happening, here's what we can do to address it. I want to help you be the great place that you say that you are. Mm -hmm. Whether they're going to buy that or not, I can't say just yet. So I do have some concerns about um, my research area. Uh, and part of my research area is imposter syndrome. I definitely talk about this in my research in that you have to, as an institution, you have to understand that quite often your underrepresented minorities, specifically your black women, are going to present with this issue. And so part of it also is um, the interview process. So you think about having to do job talks. Some institutions want you to teach a course. Yeah. Um, how will the students respond to you in that moment? Yeah. And if the students aren't responding to you, then where is your confidence level when you then have 20 minutes to go and sit at a round table with faculty members at this institution mm -hmm. uh, or vice versa? If the faculty don't seem to be really engaging, how do you feel once you get up and stand in front of these students or what have you? Um, so that's definitely a piece of it. Also, just thinking about um, how important collaboration can be as a faculty member, whether that's going to be on manuscripts or presentations course development, if you don't feel that your colleagues are going to be, um, you know, understanding what you bring to the table, um, whatever institution you've attended, whatever you've done, like you wouldn't be here in some sense if you shouldn't be here, right? right. That's, that's, now we're back to the, did they need to fill a brown spot? Did, they, did somebody know somebody and call somebody and tell them, hook your girl up? Or, you, so it's, it, it's, it can be really difficult at times to feel like me all by myself and what I present landed me here. Mm. It's really easy to attribute it to networks or needs of an institution and all these other factors, right? Um, and I think that is very much internal. And I don't yet know how to wholly get away from that. Yeah. I have my days where I feel good and confident and, oh, I'm jamming. And I'm already over the fact about that article. It's like, okay, yeah, that happened. But now what? Now I'm like, I need first authorship. I need to, you know, so it's always what's the next, like I'm constantly chasing something 
to prove to myself and others my worth. Wow. And, and that is what's also exhausting, right? Mm-hmm. One goal after another. As soon as you accomplish something, it's like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Like, I got an award for this. I did this. I did. What next? And it's like you feel like you have to have this mega CV that's like the best ever just to be average in a sense. Yeah. Ah, yeah. And like, I know, um, so I go to therapy, of course. I just uh, left this afternoon, yes. Uh, and I remember my first session, my um, therapist like, you know, what, you know, what brings you and all that. And one of the things I said is I have a fear. She, and I'm sure she was thinking about some, you know, normal fears. So I was like, no, my fear is of success. I fear mm. success. And she was like, well, I don't know, you know, what does that mean? And for me, fear of success is just kind of like what you said. I did this, great. What's the next thing? I did this, great. It's like I have to keep doing it. And it's not only just for me, but if I don't succeed, the people that are around me are watching me. Yes. Especially when we talk about that foundation where you grow up, your, you know, kind of how your culture is set. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, I'm the first generation, um, yeah. like many of us. And if I don't succeed, then it's like, who will? Right, right. And I'm so fearful of that, that yeah. I don't know when to stop. You mm-hmm. know, so even mm-hmm. you having a doctorate degree, people have already asked, so what's next? Right. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, going to the house. Right. What is next? A certificate? Like, what do you right. do? Right. Yeah. And that's when you have to break down higher education and how yeah. to next. Right. I go get a job. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I don't, I mean, when I, I, I remember having my, my defense and then they were like, congratulations. And it was over. And I remember sitting down and I was like, I was looking for balloons or something to happen. <laughs> right. Nothing happened. So I was just yeah. like, Oh, okay, so what is supposed to be next? Right. I just doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that fear of success and then having to think about I accomplish one goal. How many goals do I have to accomplish for me to say that I'm successful? You've done it, exactly. Right. Yeah, what's the finish line look like? Because I know I'm always moving that goal post. Yeah. As soon as I say, as soon as I do this, I'm good. But then I do that and I'm not good. And so then when I do that, you know, so I'm not, I'm not sure. And I don't know how long... It's healthy to even try and run that race, right? Right. Like at some point, I feel like, uh, which, and I have a colleague that's doing this work. He he's looking at black women who have achieved various levels of success, mostly are educated middle class and above. And what he's finding is health wise, they're suffering. So there's a lot of obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, and things of this nature. And he's trying to figure out why is that? Why is that population that would have great health care, that would have so much agency and all these other things that you would think would allow them to be health, mental and, you know, better mental and physical health. And part of it is it's that isolation of at home with the family. They're no longer what they used to be in, in other folks' eyes, and then they're not fitting in at work. And so often they're turning to um, comfort food in these things for brief moments of joy and pleasure and those endorphins that come with, you know, eating the cupcake that you might otherwise refuse yourself, right? Um, and and that's, that's one of the things, like, how long can we, you know, be on this hamster wheel? Right. And I don't have an answer to that. I think, that's a, I think that's a great statement, but I think that that hamster wheel 
is how our socialization. Yes. Right? If you think that this is right there, this is not yep. like black women just started being this way. Exactly. That, you know, this is something that was socialized from generations. Mm -hmm. So out of a necessity for survival. Right. Into a, a straight mechanism of how we operate. It's just mm -hmm. a operating procedure. And the reality is, is that like any addict, if you are chasing a high, which is what's the next career yep. goal? What's yep. the next is what's the next, then you're, you're going to neglect those things that are probably important. Sleep, food, yep. exercise. Absolutely. You know, and some, even in some respects, family, like yeah. networks, not answering calls, not yep. taking time away. Right. Because again, we're not even celebrating where we've been. We just try right. That next level and figure out okay but then we earn a doctorate degree mm -hmm. then what is the next level well i guess the next level is that i need to just go ahead and climb up to the highest mountain because that's mm -hmm. the next level right where right. else are you gonna go right and I feel like we have to become and start getting real with ourselves because yeah. then after career is well maybe i didn't have the 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 partner and the children on, yeah we're going to wear ourselves out in that area or, yep. and i think it's just this constant when we need to literally sit down take every moment to mm -hmm. celebrate each and everything that we've done absolutely before we move on to this next level mm -hmm. right and decide if that next level is it genuine? Is that something that you're seeking for some joy or some, or is it just a, I feel like I'm supposed to. Mm -hmm. so, so often we're operating in supposed to, and I hate that term, but it's so real. But you, you know what? But you know what? But it also makes me think about like right. what are the health implications of that yes, though? Absolutely. Like what what are because I I feel like we we often don't have these conversations of what is the implication of me being on this hamster wheel mm -hmm. of never of having to publish the, the idea of yeah. publishing and perishing is different yeah. for black women of color right like yeah. or, or people or folks of color like what is what what do you feel even initially could be the health implications of this always having to do and publish and not even taking taking time to say wow like right. just the fact that we did this little celebration party but what is it internally yeah. that we're like that we don't even think that we need to celebrate ourselves right like what are those health implications mm -hmm. to that because I, well, I yeah like what's your opinion i mean i definitely think that you're going to deal with the uh the stress for sure the anxiety depression potentially let's say you you fail at whatever it is you thought was your next something i don't even know what those coping mechanisms really would look like where do you turn to who can you be that vulnerable with when you've had to have this armor up for so long uh, which is another piece of it too this that it, it just kind of feeds into that stereotype of the strong black woman in a different sense right mm -hmm. um but i definitely think also a lack of sleep I mean, you're just not going to be hitting on all cylinders. So even if you're being productive, is it at your best, right? Or is it just enough to get by? Um, and then again, I'm, I got to go with the obesity and all of that, right? Because we run into vending machines. We run it through drive-thrus. We don't have time to meal plan and grocery shop and cook a meal. So we, we get it in where we can fit it in. And usually that's not going to be um, healthy, for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a piece of it as well. And then if you, you're dealing with all of that, I think that really gets the depression potentially going. And so now you're in a funk, you're trying to pull yourself out of the bed every day just to go in here and fake 
productivity or whatever sometimes or you know so it's it is i think it is just a very vicious cycle um and i don't know that we always know how to rein it in my first year was one of the worst years of my life because i had always excelled academically this is the first time i had to learn how to study i had to mm -hmm. i had to learn things that i i coast through all the way through a whole master's degree right in the number one school of social work i never studied never prepped never anything i i looked at flashcards for my gre for a week and a half and i was like either they want me or they don't so <laughs> in that first year yeah. it was like you take his stats classes, this, this, this theory, and da, da, da. and I was like, "Whoa, it ain't clicking like that." It ain't isn't because it's no longer about um, memory and regurgitation. Now you expecting me to create the knowledge instead of retain yeah. the information, right? Now the game has changed, and I wasn't ready. <laughs> I just had that conversation today. Yeah, it's real, and so. I went through it like so but what I did I tried to be proactive I um, went Atkins I'm a full disclosure I'm a type 1 diabetic so I'm insulin dependent and mm -hmm. so for whole other reasons I can't just get into the whole eating what I want to feel better about life type situation um, I really focused on my running I um, only would do Atkins I cut out all alcohol for my entire first year which was the worst time to go dry but at the same time, it was the best time to go dry. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and then the second year was better, but it was different because then now you're moving into your area more. Mm -hmm. um, so the health, the health implications are real. Like I have sleep apnea and I don't like that CPAP. So I'm always running below full capacity just because I'm not sleeping well. I'm up and down all night or what have you. Uh, and I'm always thinking about the next day. Like every night I check my calendar to see what's coming up the next day. And I have to think about what am I going to wear? Um, am I going to put makeup on today? And if so, what, what, co I, I spend a lot of time thinking about what color lipstick to put on. Right. <laughs> it's the littlest things that sometimes can trip me up in a way that's almost embarrassing to say out loud, but it's real. I interviewed with the board of trustees um, to be the graduate student rep. And I, I'm pretty sure it took me 45 minutes to decide on a lip color because I'm thinking about all those things. How are they going to receive me? I already have reddish, pinkish dreads back here, locks back here. And so it's, it's you know, funky glasses. So I'm all, I'm very, um, expressive in my identity but when i can reel it in a little bit i try to but that that takes a lot of effort uh, on my part um but yeah no the the health side of it is really important and we just in general as a demographic we need to do better with that and specifically when you factor on the the weight that many of us are carrying in this profession yeah and the crazy piece is that we kind of know it, but we don't pay attention to it until someone ends up in a hospital or a very sick yep. or someone close to you, something has happened to them. Then we want to kind of correct some of Exactly. Right. And that's often temporary and you fall back into the old routine. Yep. Mm -hmm. So then I guess my, my question um, as far as imposter syndrome goes is what, um, I guess kind of what advice would we give for those you know, who are currently experiencing some of the same things that, that you said or some of the same things of going through a doctorate or um, being a 
woman who feels like they're not they're not um, seen or they're not heard or but you know but they're doing everything that everyone else is doing right um, I think it's really important to revisit past accomplishments mm-hmm. so remind yourself of what you have done well um, one of the things I like to do is read uh, assignments that I submitted in like year one and I'm like girl mm-hmm. You should be ashamed. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, it's like, but look at you now, right? Like, so you see that growth. You see how you've evolved into um, the scholar that you were meant to be. Um, Mm -hmm. Revisiting past accomplishments. But then also just make sure, no matter how small, you do have some sort of a a solid network. That is really important. I am all about a brunch and a happy hour. Yes, um, brunch. It was yes. together, right? Like oh, you, you bottomless, please. Safe space. <laughs> um, and then just find like what's that thing? So you're, you're. In my opinion, your research should be something that you are so passionate about that when you hit those brick walls, you can push through. Yeah. Because if it's something that you just kind of like, uh, I mean, that's kind of interesting. When the going gets tough, you it, it'll be much easier to walk away from that. But if it's that thing that drives at you, those questions that keep you up at night that you want to get to the answers, um, that so honestly, I see myself as simply being like a vessel. And this mm-hmm. is not like, oh, I'm like Moses or anything. But I do think my role in this is just to sort of let these things pass through me um, because who I'm most interested in is the little brown girls um, back in my neighborhood that don't see opportunity, don't see success. Everyone around them is sort of living the exact same life. And so I want to go back. I'm actually, uh, I, I'm facilitating a panel. Um, I have been out of high school 25 years this summer and I, I'm going back to talk to the current seniors about what the past five years have looked like, the ups and downs, where we thought we were going, where we actually ended up going. Um, because I feel like most teens can't hear that from their mother and school mm-hmm. administrators, right? And so mm-hmm. maybe from those of us who were sitting in these exact seats, you can receive that message. So my journey has been like this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I want to tell my story to as many kids as possible that it, your, your circumstances don't define you. Um, and so when I feel like I want to give up, it's like, now nah, you got a whole hood mm-hmm. that needs you to do this. Mm. Like it's bigger than me. I always say, well, I don't know how old y'all are, but I always say this is bigger than Nino Brown. Ah. From New York City. So that's what gets me to get up, get my ish together and make it happen because it ain't about me. I'm eating. I'm good. I could stop now and be good. But that's not that's not what it's about. And so that's helpful for me. I love that. I love that. And kind of just the idea that you're standing there for someone else. Like yeah. all of this is yeah. is to symbolize something. Somebody is going to need it. Um right. whether that is you're gonna come across another you. I think I think sometimes when we go through situations we we think we forget well, I'm not going to be a student forever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> right. this is a moment. This is yes. a moment in time, a situation in time. So with that, um, we're kind of coming to a close. But 
what is a song or a movie or something that has you this kind of like your fuel that kind of keeps mm. y'all listen I, i'm gonna bring you this my mind i'm gonna go like, synergy 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 so see y'all oh my gosh there are so many but, yeah mm. like what's something that's like fueling your fire or something you're just like you know what i listen to this and i'm it, it, lemonade i don't know sometimes that's a little depressing but something <laughs> it's uh <laughs> <don't go>. so <laughs> there's like there's at least three that i have to mention that's yes. how we be me um so it definitely is destiny's child survivor yeah yeah like that song can just take me to this place where i'm laughing crying every every available emotion can surface at once right yeah then there's um uh ludicrous ketchup mm-hmm. y'all familiar with that <laughs> google that one okay uh, <laughs> YouTube, YouTube that's for the not so healthy coping mechanisms of the world uh-huh. um, and then um, freedom it is from lemonade um, because uh-huh. when I you know it's like a, 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 yes. a, a, a don't quit on themselves and yes. it's so funny my playlist when I'm running is oh and um, um, t- is it not Todrick oh god what's his name Ty if, if he just really- do it again Oh, now that's my jam. Yes. I just played that one. That right there. Yeah. Yeah. Those get me all the way together. Um, So, yeah. And I I do that a lot. I I turn to music a whole lot. Oh, um, Kelly Clarkson, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger. Mm -hmm. Oh. Um, Katy Perry's uh, Firework. Yes. Oh, that's a good choice. Come on, playlist. Uh, <laughs> Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. Come so now, I, I ain't gonna be able to do it sometimes. Yes, <laughs> I gotta let go. Uh, <laughs> all else fails. Listen yeah. to DMX, party up. Let me tell you, that's <laughs> a meaty song. He has a line, and this says, "I don't know who you think you're talking to." Like, <laughs> come on. I just need you to know that I listen to that when I'm about to go to this meeting, and I need to. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, I throw it all the way back. I uh, so I just went to a university. Um, asked me to come out and talk with the new student group they've developed for the Black women on campus. Uh, it's a PWI, and they they need some support. And so um, I put together a playlist for them. And so one of them is Public Enemies Fight the Power. <laughs> I honestly feel like every day that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Every day these Ivory Towers or a little bit more beige than mm-hmm. they were the day before. Right, mm-hmm. right. Like the power is the truth too. Yeah, because well, yeah. if you think about we're not when we think about these things that we go through, we don't think about the structure and the systems of inequity and exactly. you know like and that you know that that not, that book Ebony and Ivy like will put yes. it together. Yes. It will let you know. Oh, so I'm going to school on a on a burial ground, like a metaphorical burial ground on all my ancestors. See, that's why we got mm-hmm. right. Yes. And, you know, and I was talking to them because it, it was, what, two weeks ago, I believe, when the uh, admission scandal just broke. And I was like, don't get it twisted. This ain't new. It just hasn't been on the front page the way it is now. It hasn't been out here like this. But all of us have known. I said, but this is what I want you to take away from that. We all, in some ways, probably question others and ourselves. How did we get here? Like we've talked about, right? Was it a hookup or da 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 but there's always assumption that rich people are supposed to be in the spaces they in. Ah. You know what? <laughs> How many of us have questioned them? Wow. 
just like these same cohort members that I just said, I feel some kind of way about, I make an assumption. Now, just like these kids, if you all are rich and in Beverly Hills, I don't expect that you've been at a public school, but even if you have, public school in Beverly Hills is going to be all right, right? And yet you couldn't even still get to where you needed to get to on your own, right? But we don't question that. Right. We just assume they wealthy, they've had access to resources, so clearly they're capable. And we but, see, but see, these institutions were never created to support our personhood in the first place. Not at all. Of course, we, of course we feel that we don't belong because we yep. weren't belonging in that system in the very first place. Yep. And regardless of the hiring practices, diversity hires, or whatever they do, it's a cosmetic situation. Yes. It's a cosmetic fix. Yep. And so we, until we do, listen, until we do an exorcism, mm-hmm. uh, off of these institutions, we're gonna continue to be right. operating like a pet cemetery. Sorry, that's in my head. It's no, that's head. real because <laughs> they love to say, Oh, we've added this percentage or we've done this, but what have you done to address your culture and climate? Come on, see, don't bring me here to suffer, right? It's too many options for me to go somewhere and not have to suffer for you to bring. And I really don't like that when it comes to kids because you're talking about 18 year olds being set up for failure. Now that's personal to me. Now you crossed the line to me, right? So if you're not going to fully support them and include them wholly in this institution, don't bother bringing them just so your numbers look better. So you can pat yourself on the back that you did something great for the minorities. No. Okay, so LaShonda, tell us what Black Women Voices, this podcast, this space means for you. Um. So what this means to me is a platform for voices that are often silenced, and if not silenced, at least hushed and censored. Um, and so the ability to, to, this is a place where I definitely felt like I could present my entire authentic self, for better or worse, and I'm grateful to you for that, because that is rare. Um, so that that just means the world to me. And this is a place that I'm like trying to spread the message and telling other folks, you know, watch watch how they move. And um, this is a good thing. This is a much needed space. Um, and we are so, especially those of us in the academy, are dispersed so thinly um, that we need these like national and maybe eventually global places to think of. All right. So we want to give you the opportunity to celebrate a black woman who has been inspirational and or influential in your life. So who would that black woman be for you? So Alana Flowers is uh, an alumna of the institution that I'm in as well. And she's a social worker, but she's doing a documentary on um, this black community here. And so I love that she's taking social work, um, and using it in a different way that I think is very unique. So mm-hmm. I definitely want to celebrate her. Um, and I also just want to celebrate any and every black woman specifically who has um, ventured down this academic road. Because it's, it's a unique journey. Um, and I know what it takes. And I know that you're constantly feeling some kind of way about your role and your place in that space. Um, so yeah, I, I, I celebrate all my sisters who, and anybody who's first generation, that's a hell of a hurdle to overcome, if ever you do overcome it. Um, yeah, my first generation people.
you for listening to this episode of Black Women Voices. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Black Women Voices.